I've seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. guys and welcome to the pilot episode of horror apocalypse the podcast about all things horror and all things horror entertainment uh we will be discussing for the first few episodes horror movies with three or more sequels uh possibly leading to four or more movies total in the series we will roll this out starting with hellraiser uh, my personal favorite in the entire series there's something about hell priest and the way he presents himself and the way doug bradley just delivered those lines that really uh, is what brought me into horror um but every episode from now until we decide we're no longer doing this which will hopefully be a very very long time i will introduce with a uh, favorite horror quote of mine that uh, ties to the subject that we will be discussing Today's quote is from H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. And I think that ties very much to Hellraiser because of the fear of the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen when you solve that puzzle box, and that's what I think I, I thoroughly enjoy of the series. But I'm getting off track a little bit. Today we have a guest host with us. Uh, he is my brother. Ian, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey guys, first I want to start off, I do have a slight head cold, there may be some sniffles, I'll do the best I can to keep my head away from the microphone and not have that bellowing through your ears as this cast goes on, but my name's Ian, I'm 23, I consider myself a metalhead gamer, like most horror fans, I was raised around metal music of all types and genres, and with that being said, I also found gaming to be kind of a release for myself, and those are two of my biggest passionate passions. And that's why Ian will most likely be our go-to guy when we discuss uh, horror video games. Uh, for example, Dead Space is one that I would love to have you play and, and talk with us about. Um, the Necromorphs, and I gotta tell you, the first time, and I think you were with me, the first time we played Dead Space, um, just the intro, where it's kind of training you how to play the game, and that, that Necromorph comes running out and chases you into the elevator, and you just, you're, you're thinking... All right, damn, that was kind of tense. And then suddenly those talons just come bursting through the door and rip it open. And I got to tell you, my first thought, I went, oh, fuck. And just, <laughs> I, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So it was it was fun. I, I enjoyed that. And I think that's what we're, I can't wait to have you, you know, play games like this. You are going to be our go-to guy for horror video games. And I believe uh, we can work together when it comes to reviewing uh, horror music. 
I know you are the musician in the family, uh, which I hate you for. Eh, I mean, you know, comes from the family. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I tell people all the time. A little backstory on me. I, I used to work with um, games, uh, a particular gaming store. I don't want to say their name, but let's just say I won't be stopping for games <laughs> there <laughs> anytime soon. But um, I used to tell people all the time when they would come in and ask about particular games that... Um, I got one for you one time because uh, you got into Guitar Hero and you were getting really good and you wanted to learn how to play guitar and you were real little and I said, there's an 18 year difference between Ian and I and uh, I said well I play guitar I'll show you a little bit and then I got you um, what was it Rise of the Sixth String what was the name of that game Rocksmith Rocksmith and um, within what six months time you were already better than me I said, yeah, that's it. I'm done. I'm not teaching you anymore. <laughs> but uh, Ian is pretty much our, our go-to for musicians as well. I mean, he knows he can talk about tempo and, and signature and things like that with you. So he'll be our go-to. We'll we'll both talk about um, some of the, the new horror music that's coming out, um, which I got to play some stuff for you. I discovered some new bands, uh, black metal bands out of Norway that just, oh, friggin' powerful and awesome. But anyway, we're getting off track, and that's that's kind of the thing that I, I want to bring up as well, guys. We, I've been listening to some horror podcast or some uh, horror podcasts lately, and um, I've I've noticed a, a wide variety out there. I would like to keep ours a friendly banter like this, but we're going to do our research. We're going to know what we're talking about when when we bring these episodes to you. I don't want to be here. Uh, pardon my language bullshitting and and talking about nothing that you haven't already heard before or that you haven't we want to educate you we want to be able to bring stuff to you that you're going to enjoy that you're going to love hearing you're going to want to hear these banters again but they're going to be factual and so you're going to meet you may hear some paper shuffling in the background it's because we take notes we we want to know what we're talking about we want to know the things that we're going to to spread to you um one i heard recently absolutely pissed me off beyond belief because they were so wrong in what they were talking about discussing uh, Hellraiser as a matter of fact because I wanted to hear some other podcasts and get some ideas on what we could talk about to be be new and fresh and um, it was it was horrible they were completely wrong in a lot of what they were talking about and it was a group of people you would think if you have four or more people together that claim to be horror fans and they're talking about uh, Hellpriest they would know what he was called in the first uh, installment of it, Hellbound Heart. They would know differences between, um, what was it, Rory and, and Larry. You know, who is that character? You know, and it's, they didn't. They didn't discuss any of that, and it was just horrendous. But let's let's get back on the topic of Ian real quick. Uh, Ian, tell us about uh, your favorite movies. What do you, what's your favorite movie of all time? Personally, my favorite movie of all time, it's going to be one of the most common ones of people of today just because of the recent effect it had but it was definitely Deadpool it the fourth wall breaks as they say brings you into the movie it's not just you're watching action and they're having the conversations on screen his quips were directed to you as the audience it made you feel involved and included in anything that was happening in the movie and he was this ruthless assassin but Everything was a joke. He had some kind of quip to make it funny. It was never a not nor dull moment or any sort of 
too serious where you can't enjoy the movie. Uh, and with that, it left me unable to wait for the second movie. And it's movies like that that caused me to want to go to the theaters and see these. So with that, Deadpool was definitely my favorite movie. I have to agree. I, I really enjoyed Deadpool. And I think one of the things I really enjoy most about Deadpool was the work that Ryan Reynolds put into it. He is a Deadpool fan. It showed in this movie. And everything that he went through to try and, and bring this movie to us is fantastic. I wish more people had that kind of passion in their, their movies. All right, so we, we gather Deadpool is your, your number one favorite movie. Why don't you uh, tell us about your favorite horror movie? I do have to say, out of all the horror movies, Sinister, I'm going to have to label as my favorite. It was one of the first movies in years that brought me to the edge of my seat, had me jumping at all of the scenes. There was actually one scene about halfway through the movie. Um, the main character is climbing up into the attic to search for more movies that he was uh, researching to look at, figure out facts of this crime and try to solve this crime. And as he climbs up, you see this creature scurry across the top of the screen. And he stops... And as he climbs to the top of the ladder and peeks his head into the attic, the creature jumps out. And I honestly, I do have to say, I screamed some explicitives, jumped about three feet back in my bed, scurried, grabbed the blankets, and I was like a five-year-old again. And that's my, I need that from a horror movie. And I think that's that's what a lot of us really enjoy about horror movies is it can induce that kind of emotion with us. It allows us to feel certain things that we don't feel on a daily basis. You know, when I look at my wife, I feel love. I don't need to see a romantic movie for that. When I when I look at family, I get that that kind of happiness and we, we crack jokes all the time. So I don't need to see a comedy. I get that on a daily basis. Horror is not something we deal with on a daily basis. And I, I, we need that kind of adrenaline rush every so often. So, yeah, I get you. Now, tell me about your uh, first experience into horror. What got you into to liking that genre? Because I know you're not as big of a, a horror fan as, as myself or, you know, some of our, our friends are really big into horror. But what is it about horror that got you into it, that got you personally to, to like it? I do have to say it was a TV show from when I was a child in the 90s, and it scared me beyond belief. Uh, I know which one. Yeah, I could not deal with it. I Every time it came on, I was turning my head, and like you had said earlier, it's that adrenaline rush. It's that you're scared out of your mind, but for some reason you get drawn back to it, and that is Tales from the Crypt. Yes, the Crypt Keeper. I, I used to love uh -huh. putting that on just to scare you. <laughs> oh my good God, did it work. I don't know what it was about a bag of bones in a row, but that did enough to scare me. Nice. And from then on, I, we branched. One of my first horror movies with you was Chucky. And now, granted, I laughed and kind of hated the movie, but that is a story in and of itself. That made me want to try to find more horror movies that I wanted to watch and what I wanted to see and what I would like. And I can't believe I'm saying it's Tales from the Crypt that scared me, but we'll move on. No, was it, uh, was it your ninth birthday? We took you out to... to well, I took you out. That's sort of our, our thing. When, when it's your birthday, I take you for dinner and a movie. Uh, oh. What was it I took you to see on your ninth birthday? It was House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, Please. you sound so, so enthused by that. It was a great movie until it had a 45-minute drawback scene before the guy pulled the trigger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I remember uh, sitting in the theater and yelling, just shoot him and the woman next to me laughing and yeah it was it was a, an experience i am not a a huge fan of rob zombie's work um 
I do like the art and the, the, the thought he puts into it. But at the same time, he did great when that was his music videos, not so much for, for film and, and industry in that aspect. Um, House of a Thousand Corpses, I got to say, I and you're probably a lot of our listeners are not going to like me for this, but I was not a fan of House of a Thousand Corpses. I thought he definitely, definitely redeemed himself with Devil's Rejects. Yes. Fantastic film in that aspect. And it had the same characters, just it was a whole different story, a whole different lineup and a whole different plot. I mean, and in the way that was told and the, that it wasn't it didn't feel like a horror movie to me. I mean, it had the murder and the the monster that's within human and things like that. But it it was more of a suspenseful action movie for me. And I think that's that's kind of what I liked about it. But let's let's go ahead and get back on track here. We, you know, we're we're here to discuss Hellraiser now. To prepare for this uh, podcast, we watched um, it was three movies mm-hmm. in the series. Why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners what we watched? So we watched the first series. It's just Hell where the first movie was Hellraiser. Then we went on to part four, which I believe was called Bloodlines. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I decided let's watch the worst, which was number nine, Revelations. Well, I, I wanted us to watch that one as well because I felt because um, I don't believe you've seen every Hellraiser movie, and that's that's like I mentioned in the the start. This is a, a one of my favorites. It, it this movie, there this series is fantastic, sort of. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, the Hell Priest is Doug Bradley. There is there's never going to be another Hell Priest. Just like so many people feel that uh, Robert England is Fred Krueger, or Freddy Krueger, you know, as he became uh, from the, the sequels on, which that will be another installment we're going to discuss, the Nightmare on Elm Street series. That one I can actually talk about more. <laughs> <laughs> but just like people feel that Robert England um, is Fred Krueger, Doug Bradley is Hell Priest. And it is, it's, in the beginning, when Clive Barker approached uh, Doug Bradley about this movie, he gave him a choice of, of who he wanted to play. He he offered him to be the lead Cenobite, to be Hell Priest, and Doug was within an inch of turning it down. He was actually going to to be one of the movers. Uh, you remember the scene with the the two movers moving the the mattress upstairs that seemed to take an entire act on its own, but um, he felt that. This was going to be one of his first acting gigs, and he wanted the his face to be out there. He felt as Hell Priest, people wouldn't see him. They wouldn't recognize him. And, it, and that's true. He went to so many conventions and appearances as Doug Bradley, and people didn't know who he was. But he, he was that close to being somebody else. And I think if he had done that, it would have severely uh, been detrimental to, to his career. Now, he's, he's a very much... Uh, a down-to-earth kind of guy. He's fantastic. He's a great person that you can sit down and talk to. Um, but if you look at the the movers, you know, I went to IMDb and checked these out. Only one of them, uh, what was his name, uh, Oliver Parker, went on to do other other things and had a massive uh, career after Hellraiser. Um, but even that, it was bit parts, really. Uh, a little bit of, of British TV shows here and there. He was... Um, he was in Nightbreed, which was another Clive Barker uh, movie, which we'll, we'll discuss in one of our podcasts uh, all about Clive Barker and uh, other movies that he did. So we'll check out some of that stuff. Midnight Meat Train, uh, Nightbreed, Pumpkinhead, uh, Rawhead Rex. We'll, we'll discuss all of that stuff. As well as um, the mover, uh, Oliver Parker, was also in Hellraiser 2. 
You know, so he was he actually had a bit part in Hellraiser too as well. So uh, with all of that said, I think definitely Doug made the right choice in being Hell Priest. Um, but there's a lot of controversy in in that as well. I mean, a lot of people felt Hell Priest uh, should have been a girl. I mean, if you read Hellbound Heart, you would see that. Um, in a way, it was described almost as a girl. I mean, it, the actual passage from Hellbound Heart says, voice light and breathy, like that of an excited girl. Every inch of the head uh, between had been tattooed, an intricate grid, and at every intersection of horizontal and vertical axes, a jeweled pin was driven through to the bone. So right there, you kind of get that. You, they're describing Hellpriest, uh, which, by the way, if I ever refer to him as Pinhead, smack me. I, I know... <laughs> That he's referred to as Pinhead. Um, the first time, I believe, in Hellraiser 3, Joey mm-hmm. yells out, hey, Pinhead. Uh, but before then, through the, the cast and crew, a lot of them referred to him behind the scenes as Hellpriest or uh, Pinhead. But Clive Barker was not a fan of that. He he felt that, that uh, demoralized, not demoralized, but it made the character less than, than what it was. There was no fear uh pinhead i mean come on it, it just doesn't strike fear as hell priest hell priest you know that just it it commands respect with that so but in the book i mean they, they talk about it, it being almost feminine in the way that it was portrayed but um we're getting a little off, off topic again um what was tell us more i mean i, I wanted you to see the the uh, the direction, you know, Hell Priest in the beginning, that great value version of the Hell Priest <laughs> that we got later on. I mean, granted, um, Revelations was a placeholder. I don't know if you knew that, but the the studio was beginning to uh, lose the rights to, to Hellraiser. They had to film another movie to retain the rights. And that's pretty much how we got Revelations, which uh, when we were watching it, we watched it with our mother. Right. Mm-hmm. And she brought up a great point because we watched Hellraiser with her as well um and let me preface all of this by saying our mother is not a a horror fan you know (laughs) she she likes lifetime movie network that's that's her thing but um we watched hellraiser then we watched hellraiser 4 and then we watched uh hellraiser 9 with her we watched all of these movies and she brought up a great point revelations seemed like a poor man's version of hellraiser 1 right down to and spoiler alert for everybody wearing the skin you know pretending to be somebody that they weren't so that was was pretty cool it was it was okay but knowing that it was a placeholder and it was actually made for less money than the first hellraiser was made for you know um what was it like seven hundred thousand dollars less i mean the first hellraiser was made for a million dollars this one i believe was made for three hundred thousand dollars it was it was a next to nothing budget when it comes to hollywood films so um i felt ripped off even though i didn't put up any any money towards three hundred thousand dollars <laughs> i felt like i got ripped off but um tell us about it what, what did you get from it when you watched the, these movies well, personally, I feel the same way as you do. Doug Bradley had that deep, commanding, you know that he is the leader of the Cenobites right from the get-go, whether or not it's included in the first movie or it's hinted at, or if he's even really referenced as much as people would think. You can tell right from <clears throat> exactly. the start, he is the leader. He is the voice. He is the one talking and explaining everything. He is the one that Frank first sees when he opens the box. He's the one that comes down. And he gives that portrayal. And as we go through, I realize that 
wherever they got the guy that played the one or played Hell Priest in the ninth movie needs to go back. Yeah. He his voice was soft. He sounded like he was yelling and cranky more than he was cool, calm, collected, and as we've said a few times, commanding. He didn't have that strong voice. He didn't have the booming fear factor to it. And uh, no. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, I, after we had our little marathon, not long after, I did end up watching the newest Hellraiser as well, Judgment. And um, again, it's a new uh, Hellpriest. And even this Hellpriest, it, it, he looked better. I will say that. Uh, visually, aesthetically, he looked more like Doug Bradley Hellpriest. A great little diamond cut into his flesh on the, the front, bearing the, the muscle underneath. So, I mean, the the dress, the look, the style, <clears throat> excuse me, was still very much Hellpriest. I liked it. But this actor's mannerisms, horrible. You know, there were times where I thought I was looking at Kevin Smith because he's running around in what looked like a trench coat. You know, uh, <laughs> One of the things I really enjoy about Hellpriest was his commanding presence where he could make you move without having to shove you aside. And that's what this Hellpriest did in this movie. He he would walk up to somebody and shove the person aside. And one of the things I did like about Judgment, though, which I'll bring up, is even in this movie, it shows that uh, Hellpriest himself has a boss. He has somebody he has to answer to as well. Um, so there was a lot of... A lot of things that I, I liked about this one that kind of helped redeem the series, but still not as, as great. And I'll be honest, I believe this, since 4 on, this series has been in a slow decline. Um, it's just been getting worse and worse and worse. Now, that doesn't mean that I will stop watching them. Every time a new I hear about a new Hellraiser, two things happen in my head. Yay! Oh, shit. You know, because I know what's going to happen. Yes, I'm excited. A new Hellraiser. I cannot wait to see Doug Bradley with the, the Lament configuration. Oh, no, it's not Doug Bradley. Oh, shit, what are they going to do to my favorite series now? So it, it's a, a mixed bag of emotion, and I, I really love and hate it. <laughs> I mean, that goes right along with the, the mixed bag of emotion. Um, so what, what did you think about the series? What did you... Tell me uh, some of your, your concerns. I mean, it, as you see the series go on, you, you begin to see that degradation in quality. What what concerns you about them? Well, the one thing, this was a major, it developed into a major Hollywood series. It got so much more recognition than just being a cult classic like the first one had become. It The first movie was the, oh, if you want a basis to a horror movie, here, watch this. And as it went on, the bigger the name the movies had, the less they had to work with. Mm-hmm. And the one concern that rises in me, in my mind, is when is this going to end? And when are they going to finally see that it's getting worse and worse? When are they going to just finally give up? Right. Well, I think if you look at Clive Barker's books, like uh, Hellbound Heart and then into Scarlet Gospel, when it deals with Hellpriest... Um, one of the things that Clive Barker himself had said was he didn't like the way the movies were going. He didn't like what they were doing to his character of Hellpriest. So he wanted to write in Scarlet Gospel uh, an end to Hellpriest. He wanted to make sure that there was absolutely no way that Hellpriest could come back from this. And he did. I mean, the if you've read the book, it was fantastic. This epic battle between Lucifer and Hellpriest. And um, 
how they they pretty much eviscerated each other and they just the armies fighting for each underneath them it was such a your imagination paints this vivid picture of a brutal war and it, it was done very well and then lucifer bringing down the um the stone sky of, of hell on top of everybody and just pretty much wiping everybody out in hell was not enough you know that was that was the end of everything in hell but then this unseen presence which if you are familiar with with religious horror or religion in general pretty much they're they're symbolizing god but this unseen presence comes and with a, a snap of their fingers basically wipes out the existence of hell so that took care of of everything at that point and there is really i mean clive barker did it there's no way pardon the pun no way in hell he's going to bring back these these characters you can't unless of course um this unseen presence decides that it was the wrong thing to do and creates another fallen angel which you know creates this this whole cycle of hell again so i think if you sit down and think about it he had a great idea to, to kill the series but there's still a way to, to bring it back i mean uh, the, in movies and in, in entertainment there's always a way back so <clears throat> that being said speaking of religion we noticed a lot of religious symbolism in this movie um what, what was your your favorite uh kind of hint at religious symbolism one of my things, I'm very quizzical, and I love whenever somebody's being extremely religious, I always go to them and say, okay, well, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Everyone sits there, racks their brains, and they end up going on this spiel, and they have some speech, and it's, no, it's not this long verse that you're citing. It's just two words. It's Jesus wept, and it was actually the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 35. And in the first movie, you notice it throughout, and through everything, there's religious... Um, there's religious references such as they have a statue of the Sacred Heart and that falls out of the closet when Kirsty's hiding from Frank and almost gives her away. There's pictures of the Virgin Mary all through the house. One of them is actually wrapped in what looked like Christmas lights almost or candles. And there's little crucifixes. They actually have just strictly the Sacred Heart picture in one of the bedrooms everything in this entire movie and i mean granted of course hell priest that right away already gives some kind of religious tie but they really accent on that in the first movie right right well you know the the line um jesus wept in the movie was not the actual uh original script the original script and i, I think it, it was great that they changed it to jesus wept but the original script was fuck you so <laughs> oh, oh all right yeah i mean i think it, i think it was great that the final scene that we we get is uh, uh frank um not frank yeah frank uh up on the 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 pillar and chains about to rip him to shreds and his final words were jesus wept i mean that was that was fantastic i i loved it great great impact with that there were some other religious symbolism as well um my favorite and i don't know if many people actually consider this religious symbolism but i do especially with the theme of the movie but at the end when kirsty puts the uh lemon configuration uh lamarche's creation into the fire uh she's thinking it's gonna destroy it and then the giant dragon appears and flies off with it. I thought the dragon was very much a representation of the devil, for example, in in the Bible. I mean, it's um, the Archangel Michael and I believe it's George who defeated the dragon. So, I mean, we get a lot of religious symbolism throughout the, the movie. So I, I really enjoyed that. Um, now, there were some other parts that uh, we kind of 
for the layman watching these movies could be kind of disconcerting the the blood and the gore and things like that you know um a lot of the the makeup and the prosthetics were done on a shoestring budget i mean like i said a million dollars to make this movie doesn't sound like i mean it sounds like a lot of money to most of us i mean i'll make a million dollars in 40 years <laughs> doing what I do for work. So, I mean, somebody hands me a million dollars and says, here, make a movie. I'm grabbing a high eight video camera and I'm going in the backyard and the rest is going in my bank account. <laughs> so to put that kind of money into, into a movie, it was not a lot. It's not a lot to be honest, but what they did and what they made was fantastic. Um, for example, uh, I think I mentioned it to you at one point, the, um, the scene where, the uh, the puzzle box is being put back together and you get all these like sparks of light that are flying everywhere. That was all animated by Clive, Clive himself to, to save a little bit of, of money. Oh, and, uh, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but I believe he even said, uh, when interviewed, Clive said, oh, me and the uh, Greek guy did this. <laughs> there was no name given. So I thought that was kind of funny. I laughed my ass off when I, when I read about that. Another thing that, I, that really helped with the budget with this was... Um, it was filmed in one house. The majority of, of these the scenes in this movie, there wasn't a lot of places to go. The majority of the movie was filmed in one house. And a lot of these, um, for example, the, the attic was actually shot on a soundstage. But there were other areas where they're in a, in a small room and they only had one, room for one camera angle. You can only fit one camera into this room. So it really it kind of gave Clive um, artistic freedom still because i mean you 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 couldn't set up all these different angles and then pick which one you like the best you had to go and film in one angle one camera one spot in the the room so it, it was it gave some challenges but it gave him a lot of artistic freedom as well um the the only like i said the only thing that was filmed on a soundstage was the the attic did you get that feeling when you were watching the movie did you feel like this was uh, filmed in in only one angle no, every every time it felt as if the your point of view was moving around them the way that he played it off, the way that he went into these scenes. Exactly. It, you felt as if he had way more than what he was actually working with. Right. He And that honestly just shows the integrity of the artist. He went in, he made you feel surrounded by anything he was doing exactly it didn't look i mean granted again a million dollars back then might seem a lot but with what he had to do with it he did amazing work with such a little amount and i think that's what excuse me what i loved so much about him setting up and why i fell in love with this series was what he did with with hellraiser you know, and I think it, it carried over into Hellraiser 2 to an extent. He had a much bigger budget that he could work with uh, with, with Hellraiser 2. It was a double what he had for, for Hellraiser 1. Um, but it, it was, he was able to do more with it. And of course, we had different locations. We got some other, you know, actresses and, and actors and stuff in there. We, we got to see a, uh, Leviathan itself, I believe, in, in Hellraiser 2. Uh, so we, we got a lot, lot more uh, out of it. But right around three i think is when we started to notice the decline hollywood was starting to get their fingers into it a little more and, and making more choices and saying you know this is what we want this is what you're going to do and i think that's when we started to see the decline of the the series now the next one that we watched was hellraiser 4 um hellraiser 4 bloodline did what most movies were doing at that point in time during the that decade they're 
they were going to space, you know, and there is a very fine line between sci-fi and horror. Alien series is a great example of that. You know, is it sci-fi? Is it horror? The the creeping creature that kills acidic blood and it just sneaks up to you and that, that creature that jumps out and latches onto your face to impregnate you until its child can burst from your chest. That is horror. That is, is definitely a horror movie. But it's in space, so it's sci-fi. So, you know, now we've, we've got Hellraiser 4 going into space. And I'll be honest, I was not a fan of this movie. As much as I am a Hellraiser fan, I did enjoy them going into the, the creation of the box. Um, hearing a little more about uh, Le Marchand. Um, and, and hearing how the box was uh, created. Uh, I think Philippe did... Uh, the character Philippe did what he had to do to, to make sure he was providing for his family. But, but, and this was a huge but at the beginning of the movie, who was it directed by? Alan Smithy. And is that a good thing to see at the start of a movie? Never. <laughs> Not at all. And that, that goes to show that was technically the decline of this series. Uh, as soon as you see Alan Smithy, you know that this, this is a movie that was riddled with problems from beginning to end. Um, Tell me, uh, tell me about it. I mean, what what did you like? What did you dislike about the movie? Well, being that I was raised with the intent to try to speak French, I loved the fact that ninety percent of the movie was based in France, minus, of course, their little inserts of it being in space and this guy being quizzed by some intergalactic police department. That was strange. Which I also <laughs> one of the first things I wrote down was why is everything in the nineties from space? But exactly. I loved that it showed more of the demonic side to it, as opposed to there's just this weird box, somebody opens it, and oh, now they're torn to shreds by a guy. It showed the creation of the box, it showed the intent for the box, why it does what it does, the ties that it had to hell, and I also liked that through it all, Angelique, you see her in the beginning, she's the demon that's actually summoned by this weird French devil worshipper. And as it goes through, she's the one hunting La Merchant's bloodline. When the contractor, I guess he could be called, for the Mm -hmm. building, is giving his speech, she's in the crowd. And this is centuries later. Architect, sorry. Architect, thank you. Mm -hmm. She's in the crowd still hunting to end this bloodline because she knows that the Le Merchant family is the only family that would know how to destroy the box, which in turn would destroy them and their presence on earth. Exactly. And they, they, they tried to do so much with this. Angelique, I think, um, is the basis for the hell priestess. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, that statue, that is one of my favorite statues. And if I could ever get my hands on that, I will be a very <laughs> happy man. Um, but I think Angelique was the, the basis for that. And she had, we kind of get the first, uh, inkling in Hellraiser 4 that they're talking about in Hellraiser 10, talking about the um, how Hellpriest does have someone he answers to. And Angelique alludes to that in, in this movie. Um, for me personally, I think it was okay. It was an okay installment. If nothing else, I mean, it gave us some information we needed, but it had Adam Scott in it. 
I hate Adam Scott. <laughs> I, I don't like anything he's ever done. <laughs> I mean, and, and I was I was glad when he died. That made me feel feel great. And I had a reason to watch this movie now. I want to see Adam Scott die again. I rewound and, and played that, mo- that part six, seven times. So uh, I have an unhealthy hatred for Adam Scott. I'm sorry. A little bit. Yeah. But um, all in all, it, it gave us something. It just, I don't think it was a great installment to the series. Um, it, now, what about, let's let's lead into this. I mean, talking about not great installments, go ahead and talk about the last one. Now, now I'm sorry, let's, let's double back a little bit. The first movie, uh, you could make an argument that it's a love story. I mean, it's, it is a sick love story, but it is a love story between Julia and Frank and, you know, what she would do to, to bring him back. Um, we kind of get that in, in Hellraiser 2. The, the doctor is, is kind of, he's got this love for, for Julia and it's the things that he would do to bring her back. Uh, same thing in three. I mean, we're getting a love story in all of these, um, the, the of course in three the love story is a little bit different it's it's more for Joey and her father and um there is a sub lo- a love story in the background between um the the club owner I forget his name at the moment but the club owner and, and his girlfriend and how they actually become Cenobites uh themselves but um four we do get kind of a love story and it, it's a love story over time and it's not necessarily um the, the same character. What I'm talking about is Le Marchand, the, uh, his family, and Angelique, uh, her tie to the Le Marchand family, and how she's, there's this kind of twisted love there between her and all the male Le Marchands. And I think it, it goes a lot with, um, it, it's, it, it shows that there's a soul and the, the connection of the soul. I think that's what we're getting out of Hellraiser 4. What about you? What's your thoughts on that, that love connection? Well, that to connect on number four with you, with that thought, you can see between Angelique and all the males, she's a summoned demon. Mm-hmm. She can appear, disappear, reappear, pretty much bend reality to her will, in a sense. Mm-hmm. But it's taken her this many centuries to try to end this family. And yeah. in the start of the movie, it's in space, which is clearly an extra couple centuries on top of when this movie is actually based on. And she's still hunting to try to destroy the family. Yeah. And that shows, like you said, the soul. It's even demons have some kind of morality almost and attachment. She can. It's easy. It's based on her will. She can do this at a snap of a finger, but she won't. Yeah. And... In the first one, it's between Frank trying to get back and him trying to get Julie to do what she needs to do to bring him back so they can be together. He actually even ends up killing his own brother, and a lot like in number nine when he wears the friend's skin, he wears his brother's skin Mm -hmm. to try to convince the daughter that he is her father and to keep this family alive, but with him instead. Yeah. And... Unfortunately, with that being a continuing theme throughout all the movies, that's where I lost it in nine. Mm-hmm. It's between two friends. Now, I have some friends that I deem brothers, but there's no way in hell, sorry, that I'm going to end up going out <laughs> and killing prostitutes to make sure my friend's got a body again. That's right. There's no reason. Well, I'll tell you, if anything happened to you, I would definitely wear your skin. Okay, thank you. No problem. Just don't be the thing that happens to me. <laughs> Yeah, and in that that speaking of wearing skin, 
nice little segue that's going to lead us into one of our other episodes later on with Hell, um, Hellraiser, sorry, with uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the number of sequels. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, check out Leatherface. I don't believe I should be the only one that has to suffer. So Thanks. <laughs> yeah, which we'll watch it. We'll watch it. Um, so, I mean, that being said, we're, we're going... Um, pretty deep i mean i think this is the longest episode it's our only episode definitely (laughs) the longest this is our pilot episode um guys i want to know your your opinions as well what did you like about the series what did you hate about the series do you agree with our opinions do you disagree tell us tell us about it you can reach out to me at michael at horrorpocalypse.com you can also go to horrorpocalypse.com click on the contact page and you'll find links to all of our uh, instagram facebook uh, twitter pages you can contact us through there let us know what you want to hear what you want to to uh, experience with our podcast uh, any recommendations for us we're we're open to to everything that being said as well the horrorpocalypse.com website will uh, include spaces for people who would like to have their their own sections we're going to create an artist section we're going to create a photographer section we're going to create a spot where you can uh, submit a movie review and we'll post it on on the website for you as well so reach out to us through there let us know how we're doing we're also looking to create exclusive content for our Patreon supporters, which don't go looking for it yet. We've been working on the page, but we're not ready to submit it until we're a few episodes deep. Um, but we were looking for exclusive content. I know I had planned, I believe, exclusive episode reviews for some favorite uh, horror shows that are out right now. American Horror Story, uh, Channel Black, or Channel Zero, Black Mirror, Dimension 404, stuff like that. Uh, we'd review each and every episode and it would only be available to our Patreon supporters. Um, certain things like that. If you wanted something that's reviewed or for us to discuss, let us know. Uh, book, movie, music, video game, doesn't matter. All that matters is it's horror things. So reach out to us at horrorpocalypse.com. Uh, Ian, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit of what you have on deck for us as well. Well, like you said, I'm, I guess I'm considered the music and video game guru. So when it comes down to the video game department, I have some such as like Alan Wake. I have the Resident Evil series as much as I want them to disappear off the face of the planet. The, I'm that way with the movies, just so you know. Yeah, yeah, trust me. All one through whatever the hell they have at this point. And music such Cannibal Corpse, Misfits. But again... Like you said, I'm very open to the suggestion. If you have a band that you really like and you want to hear my opinion about it, let us know. All right, guys. So once again, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. Thank you so much for supporting us by listening to it, downloading it, whatever you're doing. Um, Reach out to us. Let us know what you think, what we need to improve upon, what you liked, what you disliked. Let us know. Once again, you can reach us at horrorpocalypse.com. Click the Contact Us tab, and that's got everything we need there. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.